Lord, I thank you that you dwell in the presence of your people. You've come in our hearts with exploding power and life present in us is a power and a presence to influence and affect us in real ways. Lord, and that's what we're needing this morning. Real effect by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Lord, your word has informed us in this world you will have tribulation. Lord, that's real. Lord, for some folks on the earth, that is real in everyday ways from health issues to living in places where there's military conflict and great corruption and oppression of people, where there's an intolerance for believing in you and following you that brings about a persecution and difficulty of life that's met daily in fears and thoughts and concerns, anguish about the welfare of children because a mom or dad has chosen to trust you. In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, God, thank you that these moments inform us that we need to put our hope somewhere outside of this world. Right. Yes, God. God, thank you that in the land of cotton candy, in the Disney world of America, God, it gets awful hard to, to want to part with our season pass to life. Lord, thank you for these moments that are eternally helpful to pry our fingers off of things that, in light of eternity, have never been the basis of our hope. They're never the source of our life. Our joy doesn't flow out of them. And Lord, the moment... We misplace these things in our hearts. They become not a source of blessing, but a source of bondage to us. So Lord, thank you in the strange ways that these events serve your people. To give our hearts the homing device that we need to once again test our hearts and to know, Oh God, am I afraid to lose that which I never should have hoped in anyway? God, I thank you that your truth prevails and liberates our hearts. Yes. Holy Spirit, yes. help us. You lead us into the truth. Lead yes. us into these truths. Yes, please. God, we await eagerly the redemption of these bodies. We do not set our hope in these bodies. God, we await mansions in heaven. We do not set our hope in our homes. We will walk on streets of gold forever, Lord. God, give us grace to draw near to you. God, I know that these thoughts are looming thoughts and greatly concerning many of us here this morning. Lord, would you not allow our sense of bewilderment to justify our failure to cast our anxieties on you? Right. This is not a qualified verse. Be anxious for nothing is not a qualified verse. 
There's no exception clause to this calling. And Lord, we must stand with Charles Spurgeon who preached, Oh God, that you do not understand our unbelief. We cannot come to you and expect you to understand that. For ultimately, unbelief in you is belief in something else. And you cannot understand how we could ever put our belief in something else but you. So God, today, write our hearts, reorient our hearts back to you, oh God, our rock, our faithful God, the one who has sought us and called us by name and made us your own in order that you might lavish kindness on us now and forevermore. Help us to be peculiarly trusting you in moments like these that your glory would be seen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And bless you guys. Thank you for caring for one another and praying for each other. What a blessing. Really, what a, what a blessing I have considered this morning to be a unique blessing. You know, life always presents to us If you look hard enough, you'll always be able to find a way in which we are thankful. If you just look hard enough. And here we are today. Truly, I I am thankful for this meeting. Though we are few in number, I am thankful for this meeting because I'm remembering three years ago we didn't have a chance to do this. And here we are together, able to be together and launch our faith toward God. So I'm thankful for the Lord's kindness that we are a Saturday church right now. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do a couple of announcements and take our offering, and I'm going to come back and share a word with us, and then we're going to intercede and pray together this morning. So, um, are you doing the offering this morning? Come on down. Come on down. Um, I want to just take a few moments to, to help us to pray more effectively, not only while we're here together today but also throughout this event, wherever it is that we may be in the next couple of days. Um, I titled the the message today, SEMA, not FEMA, SEMA. It would be the Spiritual Emergency Management Agency. And a little bit of my question is, you know, what is the place and the role of the church in the midst of human need? When events like these happen to the community, they happen to the part of the world that we live in, that by God's specific plan, this is where we are located. And we are ministers in this area by God's sovereign purpose. What's the plan and the role that we're called to play in an event like this? In the last few days, we have watched people play their role. And I'd have to say, from the looks of things, watching the government, uh, some some pretty impressive adjustments to the ways in which some things have been handled in the past. Uh, you know, we've watched emergency management. You know, everybody this everybody gets on a first name basis with everybody who's a Paris president at this time of year. You all of a sudden know who all the politicians are. We've heard from emergency management. We've heard from FEMA representatives, the governor, and uh, city officials have been speaking. Police and National Guard folks are jumping up to take on their role in the midst of all that's happening. Uh, The media is 
taking on its role to keep people informed and to keep information in front of everybody so that they kind of have uh, know-how of what to do next. Professional weathermen are doing their best to try and guess where things are going and what's going to happen next so that we have enough time to be able to respond. So everybody's jumping in and playing their role. And I do want to just say this about that dimension. Um, you know, in the, in the face of the realities that, you know, life on planet Earth is not safe. It's not safe. And the fall made it unsafe. This is never to be considered a safe place. And so we, we must not let our hearts fall in love with the fact that Americans in particular have figured out a way to make it much more safe than the rest of the world. But it is not a safe place. It is a fallen place. And so there is catastrophe in, in the mix of life here. But what common grace we share in the country in which we live in that is able to do for us the things that it does. And if you just want to see the difference, uh, you know, look at what happened with Tropical Storm Fay in the Caribbean versus what happened to Tropical Storm Fay in the United States. The death toll in the Caribbean versus what happened here. Um, we live in a place of wonderful common grace to man. That all these folks are going to play a role, devise plans, and create a way to, to have as many people as possible be safe. And we thank God for that. We should be praying for these officials. One of the reasons that we pray for government officials is that we might lead a peaceful life. And God's grace is in that setting to bless people. So we are thankful for that. But my question for us is, what is what's the role of the church in an hour like this. And I want you to turn to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Some of you guys forgot your Bibles. I don't hear enough pages turning. You guys got those quiet Bibles or what? There you go. Turn them loudly. Some of y'all are turning pages loudly. You don't have to make up for the people who are slackers. Second Chronicles chapter 7 is a, is a unique setting. It is after the construction of the temple uh, where God, remember, God has given instruction to his people. And all these things are very key terms. He has a people amongst all the peoples on the planet. He has a people. He has specifically instructed them to build a dwelling place for his presence. Now, those statements should, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, throw you into confusion. They should. Because the idea that God, I thought God was God of everybody. Well, he is, but amongst all the people that he is God of, he has a people. Well, you said that a place for God's presence, I thought God was present everywhere. Well, he is, but then he asked that there be a particular place where his presence would be unique. And so this is the people of God having built a place that was uniquely to be the dwelling place in the presence of God. And that went from the tabernacle, the tent version that traveled with them in the wilderness, to a permanent structure that Solomon has now completed. And in Second Chronicles verse 11, it says this, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain 
or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Now, immediately, if you're paying attention to the verbiage in this passage, this is a unique deal. This does not apply to everybody on the planet. This does not apply to every location on the planet. This is God saying something specific about a people and a place. And, you know, we've taught on this passage before and on, on what's being communicated here. Amongst all the issues that are going to take place on the planet, amongst all the suffering, all the challenges, all the people issues, all the wars, all the disease, God says, I've chosen a people and I've chosen a place amongst those people where I'm going to set my eyes and my ears in a unique way. And I'm going to listen for the prayers that come up from this place. If, if you will, remember, I've, I've kind of joked about this before, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark deal. You know, there was the idea that if they could capture the Ark, they could communicate with God. Remember the, the German guy who led the charge to capture the Ark, and he would say, you know, it's a radio transmitter to speak to God. Well, in a sense, that is what God had done. He, like he had in, installed the bat phone or something right here. You know, Commissioner Gordon could pick this thing up and he uniquely could connect to God. God had given man a unique connection to him that was not given to everybody. It was given to a select few. And it was not all over the place. It was in a particular location. So you do need to kind of run to that phone booth. If you want to have contact with God, this is the place for it to happen. And Israel was the unique people, and the temple was the unique place. Now, that's the Old Testament. Remember, the Old Testament is always a shadow and a road sign to clarify for us. The more you drive down the highway and read it and read it and read it, you know, so many, so many miles to Niagara Falls or, you know, stop in at this place. And just the more you read and read, by the time you get to that destination, you're fairly educated as to what's there. <clears throat> well, that's kind of the Old Testament. Kind of you read this road sign and you get this picture and this sacrifice begins to mean something and this whole temple system begins to look like some. And you read enough of it and see enough of it to where when you get to the New Testament, it's kind of like, oh, I've, I've seen the architecture. I know what's being built here. I get it. Well, then what is it that we get from this when we get to the Old Testament? Right? If you, you just want to listen with me or turn quickly to a couple of passages. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3... Verse 16, there is a reference here to the temple. And remember, whenever you come to the New Testament referencing the temple, it's grabbing what's been taught in the past and it's bringing it into its fruition. So the temple, if I say the temple to a New Testament believer, I first have to understand what was the Old Testament temple? What was that about? Because apparently I'm to learn from that to understand what you're saying to me now in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 
Now, two things that should not shock anybody who's understanding the Bible. One, that God actually has a temple. I shouldn't be surprised by that. Two, that the Spirit of God dwells in that temple. I should not be surprised by either one of those things. Because that's clearly in the Old Testament. That was God's intention. Build me a place that my presence may dwell. But what shocks us in the New Testament is when you find out that you are that temple. That temple was just a road sign. You're the temple. That you there is a plural you in the Greek. It means you as in the church. You are the temple of God where the Spirit of God, the presence of God dwells. Ephesians chapter 2. If you can turn there real quickly. Ephesians 2, verse 18. says this. For through him, we both have access. Very important word. We have access in one spirit to the Father. That's a chock full right there. Again, this is, these are, the, the Bible has implications to it. What would be so amazing that you have access? Doesn't everyone have access to God? I mean, come on, why is this Bible verse interesting? Doesn't everybody? I mean, I used to think I did when I was an unbeliever. And I was a young teenager. I was also a vandal. And so I loved the sport of stealing things and breaking things. were two things that I was very much into as a young teenager. But if I was on the verge of getting caught, it was amazing how spiritual I could become. I actually remember hiding in the bushes one time while a friend of mine was being beat up by a guy. I'm thinking, he's going to catch me next. I'm next. Oh, I got so religious in that moment. I started praying. I can remember the bushes I was sitting in. I can remember the neighbor's house in front of it. And I'm praying, oh God, if you get me out of this, I will never do this again. See, I thought everybody had access. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm coming to the Apostle Paul, I'm saying, Paul, what's the big deal? Through him, we, we both have access. That's not a big deal. Everybody's got access to God. No. That's not what the Bible says. The amazement here is that anybody has access to God. Anyone. And we have access in one spirit. Now, how did I get that? Because when I was born again by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in me. And because the Spirit is in me, I have access to the Father. It was the, the new birth of the Spirit, the indwelling presence of the Spirit, because this is the temple of God now that gave me access to God. Even though God is everywhere present, and God has created all people. These unique features are true of the people of God. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Well, you were at one point, but you're not now. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, unlike others who are not. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. So there's there's the church going back to the Old Testament imagery. Build me a place for my presence to dwell. Well, here it is. The Bible calls us living stones. Now, when you put us all together, God assembles a place for his presence to dwell. So now we're back on the grounds of the temple, this place that was described by Solomon And prayed for and dedicated. And God said to that place, I will turn my eyes and I will incline my ears always to listen to the prayer that comes from that place. And that is still true today. Because that was a shadow. This is the real thing. That wasn't the, you know, grade A and we're grade B. That was grade B and this is grade A. 
So God's ear is inclined this morning to the people of God. God's eyes are looking to the church to see what will the church pray? What will the church pray right now? What requests will come up before me? My presence is there in their midst. What will they ask for? Because I'm listening. I'm on the edge of my seat right now, listening for the church to make its request to me. Now, there is... uh, there's some admonition. I'm going to add some other thoughts. I just want to limit some time here today. In the New Testament, Paul, part of Paul's correction, the Corinthians in particular, they got corrected because of the lack of holiness in their lives and their association with, with the world and with the spirits of the world. And, you know, the, the correction Paul brought was you are, you are mixing your lives together with the word world. What fellowship does darkness have with light? And he began to be very concerned. And in his concern, in Second Corinthians chapter six, his concern is over us being the temple of God. That was his concern. He drives home the issue that do you not know that you are the temples of God? So if this is to be, this is the reason why the the lifestyle of the believer becomes so critical. Because worldliness, unholy living, sinful pursuits pollute the place of God's presence dwelling. And therefore pollutes this function that the the temple that got dedicated in the Old Testament was to be something today as well. It was to be that place where the people of God gathered and prayed and interceded on behalf of the world that we live in. It's still supposed to be that. I believe, as a matter of fact, this issue was so critical that when Jesus, remember when Jesus walked into the temple and he began to cast over the tables and run off the money changers? I believe there's probably a number of reasons, number of reasons why that was so offensive for him. But one of the things that he said in the Gospels, Mark, I believe, is, is he cried out against the temple and what it had become because of what it was now neglecting. He said, this place was to be, he said, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? And you have made it a den of robbers. See, it's not just that you guys are ripping one another off and your hearts are corrupt. It's that this was supposed to be something. Of all the places on the earth, there's only one place that can do what this place can do. Of all the people on the earth, there's not another group out there that can back you up. You're the only people who can do this, and this is the only place from which it can be done. And he walked in and he saw, this is not a house of prayer for all nations. It is the nations who will now suffer because you have so wandered from my purpose in your life. And he starts dumping the place over. See, uniquely, we have been given this role. Now, I want to bring that to us today. Without question, we are very concerned about a number of things right now for our lives, for our future, for our community. As we've been through this, and our minds go in a lot of directions. And listen carefully. Right now, the temptation is to narrow our focus to our personal needs. Understandable, and there are personal things that we have to take care of. But, that's not what EMS people are doing right now. Right? On your way out of town, if you do evacuate, you're going to notice people traveling in the wrong direction. There'll be policemen, ambulances, buses coming to pick people up. There'll be uh, National Guard, 
going in the wrong direction. Wrong direction. They will have taken their personal lives and done everything in their power to take care of that, and then they will thrust themselves into a role in this community as emergency management people. Now, I would dare say the church should do exactly the same thing. Now, this is not to say whether you should, you, know, you should board your house up, you should take care of your possessions, you should do all those things. We should be wise and responsible, but that's not the only thing we should do. We should not simply be doing those things right now because, see, there's a role that the mayor can't play, the city officials can't play, the parish officials can't play. See, there's a role that only the church can play right now. Only the church can play right now because there is an issue of access. Who has access to the throne of God for this community right now? And it's the church. It's us. And so no matter what we have plans to do, I, I hope that we have some plans to be praying for what's going on. And this morning, I want us to spend some time doing that. Praying for what's taking place and what's about to take place because it will make a difference. God's designed his planet to be run this way. So it will make a difference. Now, my question, before we get to some time of prayer here in just a minute, is how do we pray? I mean, how do you, how do you pray for this event? Right, actually, and I actually have to say, our doctrine and our theology doesn't necessarily make it easier for us to pray for events like these. Because I mean, let's let's be real here. Isn't there in the mind of God like a thousand possibilities of what He might use to do something great? I mean, just there's just so many possibilities of what God might really want to see happen here. And you know, in us, we have such limited perspectives on. Oh, I mean, how do you pray for this thing? Well, I wanna, I wanna just make an observation from the scriptures here because this would, it would be very tempting just simply for us to back away from a circumstance like this and quite honestly if you buy into this theology you'll back, you can find yourself backing away from every circumstance and simply always praying a prayer that sounds like God let your will be done God just let your will be done just pray for your will to be done God now is that a wrong prayer to pray? no people prayed that prayer in the Bible but quite honestly, it didn't get prayed that much. When you find people praying in the Bible, they prayed specifically about stuff. They had, they had some kind of view that they brought to the table, that they began to ask for the influence of God. And hopefully those views are informed in our hearts by God. And we have desires that reflect His desires. But when we start just praying in every circumstance, especially like this one, God, just let your will be done. One, I think it takes us off the hook of trying to discover what is the will of God. If I'm not going to ever seek to know it, then I just kind of just let that, let that alone. But yet the Bible applauds a pursuit of the will of God and the knowledge of God and the understanding of God and His ways. So I don't want to let myself off the hook. Secondly, it denies the examples of Scripture where people prayed specifically. I mean, listen, this is sort of like, you know, overusing Romans 8.28. You know, well, God causes all things together to, to work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So really, I guess we could pray for all possibilities to happen. Because God can take any one of those things and can use it for His own glory and good. Right? I mean, can He do that? Well, I guess the possibilities then are limitless as to what we would pray. But you know, when I come to the Bible, I don't find people praying that way. When I, when I find David or Jehoshaphat facing the, the uh, opposition of world forces coming against them and their people, I don't find them praying, Oh, God, you know, just whatever you want. You know, it might be better, Lord... 
Lord, we humble ourselves and maybe defeat for us would really be the best thing right now. Like, I mean, I can imagine how defeat would really serve your purposes. I find them saying, blast them, God. Wipe them all out. Protect us. I mean, they are asking for something specific. Somehow their hearts are informed to pray a certain way. And I think we need to do a little bit of work to make sure we're praying a certain way. So I'm going to run through a couple of quick examples here uh, that I think would inform us. Genesis chapter 18, Abraham prays for a coming calamity that is facing the city of Sodom. Genesis 18, verse, just start in verse 20. I'm just going to, get to give you some highlights here. It says, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now listen, you guys, if you're in touch with anything outside of the secular news, you've probably bumped into some Christian who somewhere has figured out that God's not finished judging New Orleans. right? And quite honestly, who could blame God? I mean, let's be real. So, I mean, we, we have to start there. We have to acknowledge the fact that if God chose to wipe out the city, he would be justified. It would be, it would be a righteous thing to do. There is sin in this city that deserves the judgment of God. That's just true. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, by, I'm informed a little bit by Abraham here. Verse 22. So the men turned from there, went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And now Abraham's got a possibility here. He's, he's, he's got a, okay, well, what if, what if, there's, what if there's 40? Now he's, now he's a negotiator. What if there's 40? God, I mean, Lord, please, would you mind if I asked one more time? What if there's 30? There's 30 here. You know, I just want you to notice something here. Abraham does not pray, oh God, whatever your will is, just go ahead and do it. Sodom and Gomorrah were world famous. New Orleans doesn't put a patch on them. For the level of sin and ungodliness and unrighteousness taking place in that city, Abraham certainly knew. It would have been very easy for him to back off and just say, God, wipe them out. I don't know what's taking you so long. But yet there's, there's something in Abraham's heart that prays. And he reasons with God. Notice he has reasons that he's asking God to do a certain thing. Now, I do want you to notice something here. And this is where we bring, we bring our offerings, right? We bring sacrifice offering. We bring an offering of worship and we bring an offering of prayer. Offer it before God. It is tainted and it is limited because it's informed by our finite capacity to understand all things. Abraham had a glimpse of something to pray for. It was enough for God's purpose. Now, God's purpose was not exactly what Abraham was asking for. Abraham was asking that the city be spared. What ends up happening is only Lot and his family are spared. 
So what he asked for doesn't actually occur. God, if you find some righteous in the city, would you spare the city? God does not spare the city. But God spares the righteous in the city. So I believe very much God used Abraham's prayers to accomplish his saving of Lot. Because remember, Lot is a, is a wayward man at this point. Lot has been drawn into Sodom and been affected by it. What about Daniel chapter 9? How did Daniel pray? Listen, can we learn quickly from him? And these are, these are things I hope that what this will do is it will inform your prayers. That we can, we can have reasons for our prayers, but these are biblical examples. These are God-inspired examples of how people prayed that should inform how we pray. Just read. I'm going to hop and skip through this passage. But you can really read almost all of Daniel chapter 9, all the way to verse 19, and get the whole revelation of Daniel's prayer. Verse 1, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, he, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And these are people who have already evacuated. Right? They're already living outside of Jerusalem. There's been desolations. Now they're in the mode of hopefully recovery. I don't think there was a road home program just yet. And he's praying, and he gets a revelation from God in verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And that verse right there would be very, very informing about how the church should be responding right now. I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession, saying, Oh, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame as it is this day. To the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. And he goes on and he categorizes and he lists why their lives have been such an offense to God. And he pleads over and over and over again for mercy. He, he cannot find a rally point for God. He cannot pull out a resume point and say, God, would you please do something great? Because remember, well, we did this and we did that and we did this. He just over and over again pleads for mercy for these folks. Look in verse 16. Oh, Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers... Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord. Make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city 
that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Listen, when you stand and say, does this city deserve for God to spare us? No. No, it doesn't. Well, see, when I find people in the Bible praying, they're not fi- trying to find ground to deserve from God. They're pleading for the mercy of God that trumps what we actually deserve. One more passage. Turn back to Second Chronicles now, where we started. Just before, just before we get to Second Chronicles 7, where God is actually answering Solomon's prayer, Solomon actually did pray. This is what he prayed, Second Chronicles. This is how he prayed. Second Chronicles 6, verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. And he begins to pray. Look in verse 14. He said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Look down in verse 18. This is referring to the temple. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear... Forgive, And he goes on and he begins to list off all these ways that are going to happen. When we sin against you this way, God, would you please hear us when we pray? When pestilence comes into the, the nation or rain is withheld, or famine takes place, God, would you hear us when we pray to you? Now listen, there's no deservedness here. Even look in verse 36. If they sin against you, for there is none who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away to captive land far or near. He still asks, God, would you hear us when we pray? Now, let me go ahead and ask Matt to come up. I think he went somewhere. Um, these, these verses and these examples, they inform us. And the most important thing I want us to see is this. In the midst of everything taking place right now, Glad for emergency management services. I'm glad for FEMA. They seem to get their act together much more in a better way than they did last time. Okay, the question for the church is, this event is not simply a natural event. Where's the SEMA? Where's the Spiritual Emergency Management Agency? And what's that agency doing right now? Well, it needs to be praying because I believe we have the ability to influence what's occurring around us because God's given that to the church. And his ears are attentive and he's listening even this morning. He will continue to listen to the church as it prays. And so I want us to intercede. I want us to intercede about this event. Now, the question is, well, how do you intercede? Because there's a part of me that it's that, that, that part that's like that, you know, that part. Um, that says, you know, God, whatever you got to do to this city, you know, 
cripple it, to bring it to its knees. You know, part of me wants to pray that way. But, but let me tell you what's influencing me as I pray through these issues and, and form a position to pray about this. Um, I, I am, and I will stand in line with Solomon who prayed with limited insight and Abraham who prayed with limited insight and Daniel who prayed with limited insight, but I'm going to pray for something. And I'm praying for God to spare this city. Now, why would I do that? I have reasons to do that. One, uh, for the sake of the glory of God in the mission of the gospel. See, going to all the world takes into account that when you arrive there, there will be people. This is not brain surgery. God has called us and prepared us and been rebuilding us for the sake of the gospel in this city. We are in the location that we are in. We have gone to great expense for the sake of the gospel in this city. Let me be very clear. I'm from New Orleans. I would almost live anywhere but here. Okay, there's a lot about this. I'm from here. I've lived here my whole life. I've just kind of moved around the neighborhoods. But man, I could leave the humidity. It's humid right here. Right now, I am feeling the humidity. I'm in an air-conditioned building, for goodness sake. I would leave the humidity in a moment. There are prettier places to live. There are places that are run better. I have a lot of reasons to be somewhere else. But we are on this planet, not on a vacation tour. Christians are not on a vacation tour until they get to go to heaven. It's like, oh, where's the tour bus go next? You know, that's not why we're here. We are, you know, more like a military operation. We are here on a seek and rescue mission. And this hurricane hitting the city of New Orleans has a capacity to displace people that we want to reach for the gospel. And not only us, but I think God has done some things in other churches. There are other folks in the city who want to answer the call for the Great Commission to occur. So for that reason, I'm actually praying that whatever this hurricane does, it actually instills a sense of confidence for people to feel comfortable living here. I don't know whether, you know, I, could, I can imagine some things. Lord, let, let, let this city prove it can take a hurricane and not be affected. Let it prove that hurricanes don't hit here every three years. <laughs> let it prove something for people to be able to say, I'm moving back there. Because immediately in my mind, I'm thinking about all the folks that are trying to move back here. I've been in touch with folks in Texas that are trying to move. Our in-laws are trying to, to move back here. And I'm thinking, you know what? If I'm, if I'm shopping for a house right now in New Orleans and this is going on right now, I'm having a flashback and I'm going, why am I doing this? Why am I moving back there? So every few years I can figure out how to evacuate and wonder if I'm going to lose everything. So that's very discouraging. It would be great for God to do something in this arena that causes people to be confident about moving back. Because in moving to this area, particularly to Lakeview, it puts them in the crosshairs of the gospel. I'm jealous for that, that the gospel mission would continue. Secondly, I'm praying the way I'm praying in order for the glory of God to be revealed in his mercy and in his compassion. Listen, hell is the judgment of God forever. And, my, and I often argue with God that that will be on display sufficiently for all time. But right now, God, let your mercy be on display. Let it be on display for those who don't deserve it. Let your compassion prevail over their lives. And in that rich tradition, we stand with Abraham, who prayed for Sodom, who did not deserve it. 
Lot did not deserve it. And yet he receives mercy from God. Daniel is praying for not deserve the mercy of God. He is pleading for the mercy of God. Solomon is praying for the nation that they would receive mercy. And God, you would listen to us and you would hear us. And when all these calamities come to us, you'd respond and you'd come to our rescue. They did not deserve it. Moses pleaded for the compassion of God to be known. Moses pleaded. He was jealous. And I want us to be this as well. Jealous, because there's a concern here. It's a concern in the Old Testament. The glory of God's name being at stake because it's associated with the people of God. And there was something in Moses when God began to bring judgment upon his people. That's sort of what Moses prayed back to God. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God, wait a minute. You brought us out as your people and you placed your name amongst us. Now all the nations know that we're yours. If you wipe us out, what will that say about you? Not just what, it'll be real inconvenient for us, but what will it say, God, about you? The nations know we belong to you. Do to us in such a way that the nations know that we are yours. That's what makes us a distinct people amongst all the people of the earth. That the favor, he prayed for favor. God, bring your favor upon us. Now, the reality is there are unrighteous and righteous living in New Orleans. We should be praying that the favor of God would be displayed on the people of God for the sake of the name of God that's associated with us. So those just speak some quick points for me that I'm praying a certain way because of those reasons, informed by those reasons for the sake of the gospel in this city, for the character and the glory of God to be seen in his compassion and his mercy. And for the sake of his name associated with his people, that we would, we would continue to be a people under the favor of God. And the argument that Abraham brings, God, will you sweep away the righteous with the unrighteous? God, what will that do for people's understanding of you? So here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to take those thoughts, armed by them, and, and I want us to pray. I want us to intercede this morning. I want us to pray for a city. I want us to pray particularly about this storm. I want us to pray for its direction. I want us to pray for, uh, for God. Personally, I want to pray for God to spare us of the effects of this city. I, I do. I, again, does part of me know that God can cause all things to work together for good? Yes, I know that. We're meeting here on Saturday and awaiting moving into a building because God has called, caused things to work together for good. Appreciate the rearview mirror view of that event and what God did. Um, but I, I, I don't want to see the distraction level that we encountered before. Uh, I want us to be busy about the gospel. I want us to be busy living our lives, pursuing the kingdom of God coming in our midst. So let's, let's do this. Let's see if we can get everybody participating here this morning. Just find some groups if you want to get in some groups and pray together. And we just spend a few little bit of time doing that. And then I'll, I'll interrupt us in a few moments and bring us together. We'll all pray together uh, corporately. Matt will close us in worship in just a few minutes as well. So can you guys do that? Can you just kind of find little groups where you can turn to one another, just maybe turn around in your seats, or if you're close by somebody and you want to scoot down a row and pray together with folks? Let's do that and seek to be informed biblically from Abraham and from Daniel, from Solomon, what they prayed as a concern, their people of God facing issues like these. Guys, attention back up this way. We're going to close in prayer. Matt's going to lead us in worship. 
as we close today. You know, it's an amazing thing as we look at the dedication of the temple, this place of contact with God, this, this house of prayer, this place of intercession. Solomon, when he prays, he prays about events that are hundreds of years away. And, you know, reading Daniel in light of this prayer right here, listen to this. Solomon says, if they sin against you, there's no one who does not sin and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near. Yet if they turn their hearts in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Do you remember Daniel? How he prayed? He prayed towards Jerusalem. See, Daniel was, he was answering this prayer, if you will. He was a means of actually fulfilling what Solomon had prayed years earlier. He prayed towards Jerusalem. He pleaded with God for his mercy to come when they had been taken captive. Remember, Daniel's praying in the land of captivity. And God's going to answer that prayer in some amazing ways. It goes on and says, Now, oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. Now remember, he prays for the day after their captivity. Daniel prays for the day after their captivity captivity and some bizarre stuff happened remember kings began to send them away make decrees that the the god of all the world is really the god that belongs to these guys and all you guys go home there's a new law in the land everybody's got to go back where they came from it's like all of a sudden everything reverses it becomes really strange not only that send them home but you know what the king that was before me two times ago stole all their stuff send it all back with them and then when they get to the land and they got a building project going on, it begins to get funded by these guys. They start, and people start to oppose, and they turn around and say, no, you help them. As a matter of fact, if they need anything, you pay for it. That's bizarre. But Solomon prayed that. And Daniel prayed that. And God did that. So let's pray together, and we, let's stand up, and we're going to worship the Lord for a moment. Lord, thank you for amazing grace. Oh God, may we not take for granted our access to you. Fail to speak to you and intercede before an open heaven that invites us to come. Lord, we are foolish when we begin to think anybody can do that. Anyone can do that on the planet. Anybody on earth can do that. No. 
No, Lord, your ear is attentive toward your people where your presence dwells, and that would be your church, Lord. No one can do this but us. So, Lord, we do thank you for common grace that's all throughout our land right now, hustling to try and figure out what to do next and try and help the community. But, God, what we do this morning, we do alone as the people of God. But yet, Lord, we do it. We take up our place for the sake of your glory coming in this location. Lord, the glory of a God who is merciful and compassionate. The glory of a God who doesn't sweep away the just with the unjust. The glory of a God whose cause remains, whose call is occurring around us. God, we are jealous to see your name taken up. God, I even look out in this room. Lord, there are people who are here because the gospel has reached them post-Katrina. They're here today, Lord. They're praying with us right now. They didn't know you. They know you now. God, we want to see more and more and more of that happen. God, don't, don't scatter these people, Lord. Don't do it, Lord. Gather them, Lord. Do something here that causes people to come. And do something in your church that so awakens us to have an impact on everyone that you bring to this place, Lord. Don't scatter them, Lord. Lord, do something in us. God, I know that the church has been weak, Lord, and we've not been all that you've called us to be. But God, awaken our souls. Deepen the work of your spirit in our lives. God, don't, don't be done with this city, Lord. Don't, don't scatter people that could be ministered to here. That will hear the truth and be set free from sin and find their delight in you. That will walk in wisdom and bring the revelation of the glory of God into their personal lives and their home lives. Workplaces, this community. God, we know in the face of your righteousness, God, you would you'd be right to judge this city. But God, we also know and remind you, Lord, you would have been right to judge us as well. Lord, we're here today singing and rejoicing in you as an offering of gratitude because we've been redeemed, because you were kind to us and you chose to have mercy on whom you would have mercy. God, today we're asking again, would you have mercy again, Lord, on this city? God, would you bring mercy again to this city? God, if somebody needed to stand and say that, Lord, would you hear us today? God, have mercy on this city, God. Once again, have mercy. Lord, don't bring what we deserve to this place. God, stave off the judgment, Lord. Give us more time in this community. Lord, give us in the church that you've gathered here in this place. Give us more opportunity to have an impact, Lord, here. God, don't be done here with your grace being poured out. God, be relentless. Lord, I thank you that you've established for us a fresh foothold in this city. God, the enemy has built footholds for years. God, I thank you that you've built one in this city. You've built others in this city that are a foothold of righteousness, the work of your spirit. God, let us make use of those places, God. We want to launch grace into this community from that place. And God, others who have rebuilt and have come back, God, we want them to be launching pads for the gospel into this city. God, don't, don't let our cause fall to the ground, Lord. Ultimately, Lord, don't let your cause of redemption fall to the ground here. God, let your name be great. God, let it be that the people of God will know and be instilled with confidence that our God listens and hears our prayers infusing us faith to believe God you heard us today your ear
here was attentive and you responded in answer. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for letting us be here today.
Lord, as we go, we pray that you would reveal yourself afresh to us as all of those things. Very present help in this time, Lord, that we would look beyond the circumstances of our lives to you, the one who reigns, the one who cares for us, the one who loves us. Lord, not a sparrow falls to the ground without your being aware. Lord, how much more do you care for your own? Take us from this place with faith in our hearts that we will yet see, Lord, the day of your glory shining in this place through our lives into this community for the glory of your name.